You are listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved, visit forgeleadership.org. This is Adam Josephic, co-founder and president of Forge Leadership Network. Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Network podcast. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes filled with insight and experience from Forge alumni, speakers, and active students in the Forge Network. Forge mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. We recruit conservative students and young professionals ages 18 to 25 who want to lead in politics, business, and culture. These young adults are often asking themselves, what comes next? Through our Leadership Summit and Mentorship Academy, Forge equips these students to think about their vocation critically, to examine public policy and ethics from a Judeo-Christian worldview, to gain practical skills for cultural engagement, and to establish the connections necessary to launch their careers. We're thrilled that 2020 represents our biggest year yet. Forge has been growing and expanding And for the first time ever, this next year, we will offer two Forge Leadership Summits in the summer. The Forge Summit is a five-day intensive filled with dynamic training, professional development, and renowned speakers. It'll represent dozens of conservative students and young professionals from across America who are pursuing different vocations, but each dedicated to better understanding our founding principles and applying them in our 21st century context. For the first time ever, we'll be offering two of these summits. May 18th through 22nd in Indianapolis, Indiana, and later in the summer in our traditional date and location of Columbus, Ohio, July 21st through 25th. How do you get involved? I've got three great ways for you to get involved with Forge in 2020. If you're 18 to 25, I invite you to apply for this transformative experience with Forge. Forgeleadership.org apply. Go there today, download an application, and get started on your journey to becoming a leader in the conservative movement. If you're older than 25, like me, you can recommend, you could personally recommend a student at forgeleadership.org slash recommend. Tell us about a young person in your life who would be a great fit and a great choice for the Forge Leadership Summit. And lastly, I invite you to give. Forge is a nonprofit fully supported by individuals just like you. We invite you to forgeleadership.org slash donate. All money raised at the end of this year will go to 2020 in our big plans for these young people. We've already met our budgets in 2019 thanks to so many supporters, and we're excited for the scholarship funds and everything that we filled up in 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Philip Merrifield for the Forge Leadership Podcast, and today I am so blessed to share with you PJ Wenzel's speech, How to Survive as a Conservative. PJ Wenzel, a founding partner at Ring, is an entrepreneur and political consultant. He has worked on political and issue campaigns since 1994 in over 45 U.S. states and internationally on three continents. PJ has built and sold a multi-million dollar business, has a master's in political management from George Washington University, and is working slowly on his master's in theology from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is a lifelong learner and loves books. He loves to teach, to preach, and to speak. He attempts to paint and swim, travels a ton, and is a Star Wars and Lord of the Rings junkie, and, like the rest of us, enjoys eating some good food. 
Of course, he loves the obligatory long walks on the beach as well. He's worked at the White House, in Congress, and on four presidential campaigns at all levels. He has advised and been promptly ignored by dozens of members of Congress and Canadian Parliament, and admires Winston Churchill as the greatest statesman of the 20th century. He lives in Dublin with his wife Katie and their four rambunctious kids. Here is PJ on how to survive as a conservative. In, in college, by the time I got to college, maybe you guys can identify with this, I really didn't want to do anything political. When I went to college, I wanted to get out of that. I, I just wanted to do my own thing. Um, and so I tried really hard to figure out what that might be. The one thing that came like really well to me was, was political science, was politics. Like I was getting A's and all those things. I was tutoring people who were like, you know, two or three years, like I was tutoring graduate students. And I eventually said, okay, I succumbed to it. And I was like, this is what comes to me the easiest. This is, this is, I shouldn't fight this, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should like stop rebelling against this idea. So I called my dad. I still remember the phone call. I'm like, dad, what, you know, what do I do? What do I do from here? He's always been a real Polaris for me, like a North star and I can call him for wisdom. And uh, so he, he's like, well, what comes easiest? Let's talk through this. And I was like, okay. And you know, we figured out, I just need to do politics. So I was like, hey, summer's coming up. What should I do? He's like, I'll get you an internship. I, I, I just interviewed this guy. He's a congressman. We were kind of newer to Ohio. His name's Rob Portman. So I went and did this internship with Rob Portman. And then the next summer, I was going to do an internship with Mike DeWine, who was the U.S. Senator at the time, because it seemed like the logical next thing to do. I should see what the Senate's like, right? So I was on a phone call with Rob Portman. I was interviewing for a paper I was writing on leadership, and I told him my plans, and he was just like, oh, it's a terrible idea. And I was what? And I'm like, well, he's a U.S. Senator, you know, I don't know. And I'm like, he's not as conservative as you are, but he's just like, oh, no, it's just to be so boring. And I was just like, well, you know, what do you, you got a better suggestion? And he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go over to the White House tomorrow. I'm going to see Karl Rove. I'll put in a good word. I'm like, well, okay, hold on. You know, first of all, what does that mean? He's like, here's what it means. You just fill out the paperwork and I'll make sure you're in. And I was like, okay, fine, we'll do it. So long story short, I went to go work uh, as an intern in Rove World, which is one of three offices. I did that the next summer. Once you're in that confederacy, you're in. Um, and my dream was to graduate college and work on the Bush campaign. And that's what I did. I worked for the state party. I did the Bush campaign. It was a great experience. I rotated like, so my first year, 2004, I did, I did region uh, in the Southeast Ohio, uh, 23 counties. That's like the swing region of Ohio. And that went really well. And, you know, won a lot of uh, local races and helped on the Bush reelect. It was great. I went and I was political director on a statewide ballot initiative campaign for that um, in 2005. And then I came back and I did some more like regions for the party, became a statewide coalition instructor. And then I had a chance to do something. I became um, sort of in a trade. You ever seen like... Um, and like those spy movies where they do a trade, like you've got our spy, you've, we've got your spy, we do a trade. Well, like the party was like, hey, we're gonna trade PJ Wenzel for this other guy. Like, hey, let's get PJ over here to the Blackwell for governor campaign. Blackwell was like this huge, like conservative dude, movement conservative, right? NRA board member, like FRC. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Okay, these are my people, African-American, gun rights, the whole thing. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this. Christian conservative. I go over there, <clears throat> the consultant, the first thing the consultant does is 
he puts his finger in my chest and says, you are a spy, and I know you're a spy. Don't even imagine for a second that I don't know you just, you're here for the party. You're here because we are doing this for, you know, basically just to, to, to be okay, to get along like, but you, you have no power. You can go in there, you can do your little field work and whatever, but don't mess with me. I'm like, okay. And he turns around and he comes back and says, what do you want to be paid every month? I was like, I was like, what? Um, you know, so I was like, uh, you know, um, it's just such a bizarre interview. So it was like this open hostility. I wasn't expecting it. And uh, the everyone was hostile to me because they assumed like, hey, the party party's full of these, you know, moderate operatives and stuff like that. Whereas I was like psyched to be going to work for a real conservative. One thing that happened, like just basically miraculous through that time was that God used that time to show me how to love difficult people and how kindness and love can really have a huge impact on the hearts of people. I, uh, I, I basically like decided I'm just going to love these people as best as I can. Through that campaign, I saw how God used that um, to, to create friends where I didn't deserve friends, where there was open hostility. He like, open the door for me to have relationships in, in, in such a hostile, like, environment. That was so cool. I mean, by the end of that campaign, the consultant who pointed his finger in, in my face came up to me and said, you are, I, you can consider me in your own personal kitchen cabinet. I will give you a reference to do anything you want. And, um, basically I just made friends with all of those people and gained their trust. And I did it just by loving them, by taking their beating, um, to a point and then and pushing back where it was needed you know through all that <clears throat> I learned a lot uh, of like what it means to love difficult people and how God can really supernaturally come into a situation and change people's hearts even in politics uh, relationally and that left a huge huge impact on me because I realized at that moment like during, or over that process <clears throat> that it's the interpersonal relationships like that is where i can make a difference in politics that's where i can change people that's where like god can use me and i can like influence people whether it's for conservative ideas or whether it's for you know my my faith or maybe just like caring for people so that was the first thing that that i i really picked up on but all of that campaigning that was like two years of straight campaigning i had that was the sixth job maybe I had in two years. I had done every field position in Ohio for the state party. I had worked as a statewide political director on the issues campaign in 2005, which was enormously successful. We defeated these ridiculous uh, issues. <clears throat> I was completely racked by anxiety. I, I didn't really know why this was, but it was just too much stuff going on maybe, I don't know. I knew like, oh, I need to do something about this. And um, so I, you know, started taking anxiety medication and that was just like, was horrible, um, but I did it. And I got this job working for Mary Taylor. I'm kind of battling all this. I'm in this fog, like about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. It's a government job, so I'm bored anyway. So I was kind of wallering a little bit, didn't know what to do. But lo and behold, one of my mentors came through me for me and he got me an interview working for Mitt Romney um in boston now i had heard mitt romney and you'll kind of start to understand like a refrain you'll you'll notice a refrain here which is that like 
a lot of the people I went to work for early on in their career, they were like budget hawks, fiscally conservative, all these different things that like fire us up, right? And then as they gain notoriety, I like had to, I had to be like, yeah, I worked for him before he was like that. Uh, you know, so I, I mean, there, there, this has happened again and again, like, you know, and a lot of it's just because you just don't know the path people are going to take. Right. But, um, interestingly, I had heard him give an Oakland County, Oakland County, Michigan, uh, Lincoln Day speech. And I, uh, on C-SPAN, I'm like, dude, this guy, this guy is the next Ronald Reagan. And, and I was like, if I ever get a chance to work for that guy. Now, this is like, geez, 2006 or something when I saw that. And so in 2007, I fly to Boston. So I do this, this interview with Carl Ford. Carl interviews me. He's a super big dude, intimidating. He's got this wiffle ball bat. And the whole time he's back here, he's like going like this on this bat. Like it's horrible. And so he's asking me about my voter contact numbers and what I did and all these things. And he's pushing back on everything. I'm like, dude, why am I even here if you don't believe anything, right? And I'm supposed to do this whole day of meetings. I'm supposed to meet with this person, this person, this person. So we get done with this thing and they're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I'm like, dude, my, my ticket, like I'm, I'm here all day. So like, yeah, don't worry about it. We don't need you anymore. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally did not get this job. I'm so broke right now. Um, so... And I'm like, well, at least I can see Boston. So I go outside, you know, everything's fine. And then, you know, thunderclouds. And then literally at that moment, everything starts pouring out right. I'm like, my life absolutely sucks. So I call my wife and she's like, well, well, I'm like, I'm totally not getting this job. Like it went terrible. Um, so amazingly, I did get the job. I don't know how that happened. But one of the things I learned through this process, because remember, I'm still going through this anxiety and this difficulty. And I, I learned that, like, <clears throat> I was like, I've got to do something about this. So I kind of decided I'm going to take matters into my own hands on this because I'm, like, tired of feeling kind of fuzzy. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to go to the doctor and, like, ask for a different medication. I'm like, I'm going to try and figure this out. So I was, like, reading books. I was reading my Bible. And, yeah, and I'm not suggesting that medication is not helpful because I know it is to some folks. So don't, don't read that uh, here. Don't, don't hear me saying that. Um, but for me, uh, what I decided to do was just absolutely dive in and um, start memorizing scripture. I'm like, I'm going to use scripture. I'm gonna, I, I read Romans 12. Romans 12 talked about renewing your mind through scripture. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I started doing that. And I started memorizing just a lot of scripture. And then the next thing I started doing is I was like, you know, when I pray, all I think about is myself. I think about, am I going to like meet this next goal at work? So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to tone that down a little bit. I'm going to just start praying for other people. <laughs> and I'm going to start like to the point where I was like praying for everyone I saw in the street. I like became obsessed. I'm like, I'm going to like, I'm going to pray for everyone I possibly see. I'm going to try to like existentially get myself into their lives as best as I can. And so I can understand and try to think about what do other people experience besides myself? Um, and this really, really helped by the way. Like I, I, I've not been on an anxiety medication, you know, to this day uh, because of that. And not that every once in a while I don't have a panic attack or something like that might happen, but um you know, praise God that he has really, you know, used scripture and prayer in my life to, to change me. And that, and I date it back to those, that moment. When I got to Boston, um, I, I was told by Carl, like, listen, you're not going anywhere. 
I'm going to babysit you for a while. I'm not letting you out in the field. And he didn't, and I didn't really understand like, why, why is he babysitting me? until finally like a few months into it, he's like, okay, first trip approved. You're going to Missouri. So I go down to Missouri and that is the trip that kind of like tipped me off to why he was not letting me out. Uh, I was picked up in a car by the speaker of the house. The first thing the speaker of the house did was hand me a, a list of a dozen state senators that needed to be called and persuaded to be delegates for Mitt Romney. We got down to Jefferson City, whereupon I was to brief the governor and his closest allies at the mansion. And I'm like, this is why I was not allowed to go out. And like, you know, because I'm like, oh, you know, this is so cool. Um, and it like, it's just like, the, you know, that next level in politics. But the lesson I learned from that was actually came after, after that. Um, get done with the campaign and the first thing i decided to do was to call all the people in the states like the political operatives in the states that i didn't actually interact with too much and so i called all those consultants i'm like hey you probably recognize me from the conference calls like i i was like the one on mute who never said anything because i was like a peon um and i just want to call and introduce myself and like just you know see what you're all about i still do business with those people to this day because of those phone calls. The lesson I learned, this is more of a practical lesson, but the lesson I learned from all this, and I've talked about this at Forge Summits, is that like, man, keep in touch with people that you run into in this, in this business. You know, cultivate those relationships and keep those contacts up to date and keep, you know, talking to those people, find excuses to talk to those people. And so I, I wanted to kind of like, just kind of put a, a cap on it and say like, that you know how how do you make it in this business when it's so transactional and it's so you know um it's so well it's just so transactional um i called a buddy of mine he does like tv video and stuff like that he, he's he makes a lot of money but he's a friend i call him and he calls me back he's like what do you want what do you need what's going on like because that's the first thing that everyone asks right like what do you need and i'm like I just called to see how the remodel was going at the house. And he was like, oh, oh, like the whole, you could see, like you could sense his shoulders were like, oh. And he was like, dude, yeah, it's, oh, it sucks. And so like, he starts going into it, right? And we were just talking about these things and, and, and we talked for like an hour. Everyone expects such a transactional thing, you know? Uh, I got a call today from a, a lady who is she's about my age, brilliant operative, NRSC consultant, same deal. She's like, you just called me the other day because you wanted to catch up with me, but I actually called you because I want to give you some business. Can you, can you help me with something? I'm like, sure. Like, but how's your family doing? And she's like, yeah, well, here's what's going on with them. You know what I mean? It's like, we could always deal with that business right it's like i can turn that stuff around like this i want you guys to get a sense for like you know what's helped me make it in politics that was adam's question to me like how do you do this like and then to me it's just like loving people um really caring for them being relational remembering like trying to keep in touch with folks um realizing that like i'm gonna make mistakes and um like repenting of them when i'm when i'm wrong and going to people and asking for forgiveness even if i don't ideologically agree with them like you know maybe i need to you know 
maybe I need to have treated them in a better way or something like that. And I need to repent. Like the life, life is full of this daily repentance, right? Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you liked the show, please drop a review in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, please visit forgeleadership.org.